Welcome back to another episode of Value Nation, special guest episode. You know, we're just going to dive right into it. Here we go. <clears throat> now, seeing that this is my first guest that I've actually brought on the show, like we previously had Mike Moron, who works with us, but Charlie set that up and Charlie brought on another guest. Charlie set up some guests at trade shows. You know, I needed to pull my own weight. So, you know, I finally did it. And there's a lot of info on this guest online. Um, his Wikipedia page is unbelievable. I mean, this man was born in Botswana. He speaks seven different languages. Fun fact, he actually learns English from cereal boxes while in Botswana. Uh, if you watch the film close, you will see him on the field tripping Missouri defenders to help Auburn win the 2013 SEC championship game. Really kind of took my heart away on that one. Tiger Woods' famous stinger. Actually, he taught him how to hit that shot. Jack Nicklaus once called him on a Friday to fly to Augusta for a private golf match, and he stated he had closings to handle and couldn't make it. True man of the people, international man of mystery, the inventor of the French 75, Mr. Bryant McKellar. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate yep. that. Man, there is a lot on you out there. That Wait, Wikipedia so page I, is popping. I got to ask, like, is that like 50% true or was all of that spot on? Um, it was, it was, uh, it was like forecasting, uh, future rents. I mean, you know, it, it could be true. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a blend of truth and, uh, fiction and, uh, uh, what could have been maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know, you know, you will find me on the internet, some good, some bad. Uh, uh, previous life was a, uh, vagabond golfer, high level amateur golfer college golfer at auburn 10 years on the professional tours all around the country all around the world south america uh ending up in a cu mortgage cubicle in troy michigan selling fha streamlined refinances it's the that's the dream right there <laughs> all comes uh, full circle baby it all comes back all around. Comes, it always comes back to uh you've got to get a real job eventually yep yep <laughs> You did like uh, having to make uh, ten foot putts, you know, to be able to eat dinner the next night, did you? Yeah, well, you know, uh, a large group of us we travel around the country and we would put our entry fees on our credit card, oh, and we would have enough money by the time the credit card payment was due in order to pay our payments, or the dream would come to an end. So, you want to talk about pressure? Uh, try paying your bills by making putts on the mini tours. Yeah, I'd be out. I'd be. Uh, I'd be on the street. I still get um, nervous over a birdie putt in men's league. I mean, <laughs> you grow up pretty quick. Uh, you play yeah. some, some good, some bad, and some pretty darn ugly golf courses for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was that was actually uh, the bank I went to work for. Uh, that was only supposed to work there for three months, and then head back out on the road. But they were actually one of my sponsors, and that's kind of how it all came full circle. And when I got in the cubicle and started, I think my second month I closed 16 refinances and I was like, wow, this is a heck of a lot easier than making putts for a living. <laughs> of course, the world had ended, rates were way lower than they were for the previous few years. And this was 2000, this was 2009, like say March. Oh, we so were, right after, yeah, right after everything happened. FHA yeah. refinances with no appraisals. No credit check. It's beautiful. <laughs> everybody who everybody wants that day to come back. 
Well, those were the the cold consumer. calls, anyways. They were the easiest cold calls you could ever make. We, yeah. I closed 200 transactions as an originator my first year. It's pretty good. Yeah. So you just you just hit the ground running like that was, and that's been what you've been what you've been doing since golf, right? But I was there. So I was told I was told that uh, here's these people's numbers. Everybody gets a five and a half percent. Okay. This was, we were calling through the portfolio of service loans for brokers that had gone out of business because this was 2009. So I'd call these people up. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, this is Brian McKellar with XYZ Bank. I'm about to send you this. And I figured, I said, after a few calls, everybody was saying yes. I said, well, I'm not even going to ask them if they want to do it. I'm just going to say, I'm going to send over this loan package. All I need you to do is sign it and return it with a copy of your driver's license and a bank statement. And I'm going to save you $214 a month. And uh, you'll probably skip a month's payment because, you know, we're going to refinance. And mm -hmm. how's that sound? And not one person said, I don't like that. I was like, so it came to Friday. Everybody in the office went home. And here I was, professional golfer, you know, that was used to scrapping for everything I got. And I said, hey, are we allowed to work on the weekends? They said, man, you're 100% commission, brother. You can do whatever you want to. So. This is before everybody had a cell phone. So I'd show up on Saturday in my shorts and T-shirt, and I would just call everybody at home while they were watching, you know, football or hockey or basketball. Oh, yeah. I would just work the phones all day, and I, I said, look, I'm going to work Saturday and Sunday. And every Tuesday when FedEx ran on Monday, I'd get about 15 loan packages back into the office. And everybody looked at me like I was absolutely crazy because they were all still trying to do purchases, and I was just riding the refinance wave. That's how I got into the business. That's the move. Like my my uh, background, like my family, we've my father and my brother are LOs. My father's been in the business for like 40 plus years, right? So I've seen the good, the bad. He was a part, his company probably was a part of that whole crash, American Home Mortgage back in the day. Um, yeah. They were a big problem. But, uh, but yeah, I've seen it. And but he's he would be out there recruiting guys. <clears throat> and to your point, like a lot of them, they were coming from maybe just purchase heavy shops and sure. didn't really, you know, the refis, he said it was, it was like a foreign language to some of them. And it was crazy because it's just money on the table. And it's just, and to your point, like assumptive closes, like I'm just going to, Hey, I'm going to send you this stuff and I'm going to save you a couple hundred bucks. Like it's a no brainer. It, it was an absolute no brainer. Obviously that product doesn't, doesn't really exist right. anymore, but I'm at the time you would have been silly to not, to not uh, participate. And, um, you know, uh, in, in some cases, we probably delayed the inevitable for those people, and a lot of them probably shouldn't have got a new loan. But um, you know, if you if you got a if you're if you're if you're a lender and you have a giant servicing portfolio, and you're not calling through and trying to retain your clients when rates go down, somebody else is going to do it. And uh, and that was our that was our theory, and um, I think it's still true to this day. Now, rates have continued to come down since then until what you know when the spigot shut off in about june of this year um but since then we're about 97 percent purchase so now we actually know what we're doing hey there you go <laughs> <laughs> and i have to order a print on every darn deal almost yeah but but that's the model right i mean the model is you get the purchases first you do a good job doing it and so then you have those people in your contacts list for when rates do happen to go down then you call them be like hey Let's do this. And it's it's an ongoing cycle. Then they use you if they buy another place. And it's that, that cycle that continues to go on and on and on. Look, if you're a loan originator, if you're if you're a loan production office and you are not considering 
a purchase uh, that runs through your office as a customer for life, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. We want to, we've already, we already know you. Hopefully, you know, like, and trust us already. And we want to do your loan. I would say, uh, you know, if you have a first time home buyer starting a family, buying a home from you, I would say they're probably going to use you five to six times throughout their life. If they yep. keep coming back, they're going to need probably five or six mortgages. They're probably going to buy two or three houses and they're going to refinance when rates go down. Um, and that's our goal. Our goal is to be a uh, your lender for life. And um, sometimes it's just informing them or having a conversation on the phone of, hey, it's a great time to do this or, hey, it's not a great time to do this. You know, it's the client doesn't always know what they need. They need somebody they can trust. And that's that's the goal. That's that's the rewarding part of what we do for a living. Yeah, you guys you guys deal with um, you're in one of those areas of the country because so say like loan officers that work in Kansas City, where I am, we don't have to deal with too many short term rental type situations. But yeah. you guys down there do and so you guys have had to learn as that that's been a new trend coming out you've had to learn how to handle how income is coming from short-term rentals and how you can get loans approved using short-term rental income and so forth so if you like, like let us know a little bit at that learning curve and and how things are going with so, the situation so vrbo airbnb reality television and social media created this monster of everybody needs to buy a second home or an investment property and get rich. And, <laughs> um, and so we're in one of those markets, Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, Perdido Key, Alabama, uh, Perdido Key, Florida. Uh, those are all in our, in our area, in our, in our sphere of influence down here. And we are a destination. We're a, we're probably a tier two or three as far as cost. You, you get over to 30A, over to, you know, uh, 30A areas, uh, Santa Rosa Beach area, three, two, three, four, five million dollar properties on the beach. Come over here to Baldwin County, you know, you can still pick something up four, five, six, eight hundred thousand dollars that will cash flow on short term rentals. And so everybody's doing it. You know, regular people bought second homes at the beach. And they would use them three or four weeks a year and rent them out the other time. And, you know, I have friends that um, have a two or three bedroom condo on the beach that generates between 60 and a hundred thousand dollars a year of uh, gross rental income and the wow. short term and Airbnb and the ease of which those systems work have really increased the profitability. And then a dollar you can charge per night, you know, originally back in the day in the nineties, we'd have snowbirds come down in the winter and they'd rent your place out for $1,500 a month because short-term rentals were kind of harder to find. You had to call an agency and they'd call you back and the internet didn't really facilitate that deal. Well, now you go and Google, you know, uh, vacation rentals in Gulf Shores, Alabama, there's a thousand people renting out waterfront, Gulffront condos, anywhere from $150 a night to $3,000 a night. And so, um, that drives tourists. Tourists tend to turn into second homeowners because they want to live the dream. They want a vacation there and rent it out. And it drives um, it drives their surrounding markets as well. A lot of people move to the beach and realize, I don't want to live at the beach. I want to live in Daphne or Faro, which is our more residential area. And so the whole market is really, we're, we're driven by tourism. And we're a destination that you can drive to uh, and get here in about eight hours from the majority of the Eastern United States. So during the pandemic, it was 
insane the amount of people yeah. that are coming. I bet, and, man. It's like the Lake of the Ozarks. Like the Lake of the Ozarks here in Missouri reported their highest volume of visitors, new purchases, rentals during during COVID, during the pandemic. Like the Lake of the Ozarks exploded. It was like COVID didn't exist at the lake. Like that's what everybody joked about. Well, and you know, everybody said, well, if you're outside, it's not a big deal. So everybody's like, well, well you're telling me I can go ride around in my boat and sit on the beach and drink light beer and it's COVID compliant? Let's go do it. Let's oh, do it. Way, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to send three or four emails a day and I'm still actually technically working from my office in Nashville or wherever you're, you know, supposed to be working. So it just created this whole uh, new mindset of living where you want to be or vacationing and working all at the same time. And um, we we just had an incredible boom and I, I don't see it ever going away. No. No, it's here to stay. I mean, as long as we, we've touched on it on a couple of our previous podcasts at, uh, you know, some states and cities, counties, whoever's in charge are trying to put different laws in place where you have to be a resident to do the short term rentals and, and things like that. Like certain states are starting to push those kinds of things out. But I don't it's it's not going anywhere overall the business now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the smartphone with the addition of an Airbnb or a VRBO app has made it so that you can sit there, you know, waiting in line at Starbucks and go find a vacation rental anywhere in the world yeah. and book yeah. right there. Uh, so I mean, that's changed the way people vacation and pick where they want to go. Sometimes they don't really even put a whole lot of thought into it. They're like, ah, oh, yeah, 1500 bucks for, you know, four nights. Let's do it. Booked. And then they just kind of figure it out later. And then you um, see the surprise $400 cleaning fees. Yeah, $400 for toilet paper. <laughs> and then they have this list of demands, walk our dog, you know, scrub the toilets. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? To your point about, you know, them trying to pull back the reins and restrict, we've had some of our more residential areas that have said, look, we want to limit rentals in this area to 30 days at a minimum. But they tend to be, you're more residential areas where people are occupying the homes as primary residences. And I get that. Like the home that I go to home to every night, that's very residential in nature. I don't want spring break, short-term rentals right next door, you know, party until three o'clock in the morning. Now, if I'm in a beachfront Gulf front condo, I think you can kind of expect that more. And that's kind of what what comes with the territory. Yeah. It has to make sense. Like, no, we're not going to put, you know, a, a short-term party house in the middle of a residential neighborhood. So the HOAs and the cities have created guidelines just to kind of curb the craziness. Um, and it it has affected values. It does hurt values when no short-term rentals are allowed, especially if it's a vacation-type property. That makes sense. Yeah. And plus, I mean, if you think about it, like if you're trying to be an economical traveler and you don't want to spend the money for the beachfront, you could you yeah. maybe be OK taking something a mile away from the beach and driving to the beach every day. And that's going to be cheaper. But then there's going to be restrictions on those because it's going to be more residential type area. So then it kind of takes that but, option away from people, too. So sometimes you get like a mile from the beach and you're in the county. We've, what we've seen is like unzoned county areas tend to not have the restrictions yeah. um but that is a trend for sure 
uh, lending on condominiums at the beach has gotten more difficult and expensive. So we are seeing a lot of people more willing, maybe, maybe COVID caused this too. They didn't want to be around with so many people. Like, do you really want to ride an elevator to the 28th floor with a hundred other people to go back and forth every day? Or do you want to be at your little two bedroom, uh, single family house with a pool in the backyard and then maybe drive a golf cart to the public beach access a mile down the road. We're seeing a lot more of those non-beachfront single family homes that are serving as rentals. Um, I'm actually in the process of trying to build two of them right now. I got to deal on some land that is very close to the public access, maybe about a mile from the Gulf. And I was going to build two, three bedroom houses with a pool in the backyard of each. So large parties could all stay in the same place, you know, yeah. and hook them up with a couple golf carts and they're good to go, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, granted I got my quote to build it and I was like, Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> a whole timeout. <laughs> so hey, you lumber, lumber went down. Lumber was down. Yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. Have you, have you looked into the, uh, those, those kid houses that are like two or three bedrooms? I, I did like, a like a, like a modular home. Yeah. I you can find them on Amazon even like, well, they're 50 grand yeah no no not not those that small i don't know if they'd allow me to build those there but i looked at like modular homes but man they they were no cheaper they were <laughs> they were still like a i think the bare minimum was 195 dollars a square foot okay. and then it was like a fifty thousand dollar delivery charge so it was probably as expensive as building a stick built house okay um, i just I just, I was getting ready to break ground, say last July, and I just kind of paused it and said, I want I kind of want to see what happens with this market. You know, interest rates have gone up, uh, cost of buildings at an all time high. I just wanted to see where it's settled out. I'm not in any kind of hurry uh, to make a bad decision. So I just said, you know, give me six months to think about it. And I'm kind of glad I did. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely. Good. All right, change, change the topic here. So, so tell us about what you got going on now. So we know that you started off for XYZ slinging refis. So like w- what exactly are you doing right now? We haven't touched on where, like what, what the office so I'm, is. So I'm the, I, I, I run a branch for Bank of England Mortgage. We are a mortgage lender based in England, Arkansas, which is oh, right so it's not, so it's not overseas Bank of England. Not it's a not, we are, you know, the Bank of England is like the Federal Reserve. It's not even really a bank. So we're the Bank of England mortgage from England, Arkansas, um, established in 1898, originally an agriculture rice farmer bank, uh, very small, humble beginnings. I think we're about a $350 million bank, which is very small comparatively. I believe we have over 100 loan production offices around the country. And last year, I believe we lent about $5 billion in residential mortgages. So um that's kind of our setup we are a we're a, a super lender that operates in in uh conjunction with a small fdic regulated bank and um people come here to stay um we pride ourselves in keeping our staff for long periods of time we are a kind of place where i can pick up the phone and i can talk to the people making the decisions we still have a loan committee which is kind of cool it's old-fashioned uh we, we, we discuss loans. We don't just deny loans or approve loans. We can actually get on the telephone and, and work things out and come up with solutions. Um, 
which I came from a very large lender before this. And, you know, you would send an email to some inbox and wait three weeks for a response. And the response was usually, I'm sorry, we've already given all the exceptions for the month. I'm like, well, crap, I didn't, I didn't get any. What does that do? How good does that hit me? So, you know, moved here because I needed to have some personal touch. I needed to be able to um, create and make some decisions locally. I need to be able to stick my neck out for uh, borrowers and clients that I, you know, that um that I believed in, and and um and that's the luxury of working for a smaller company. Um, I currently have six loan officers, three local production uh, support staff. I use our corporate underwriters, which I know all of them. Uh, I talk to them almost every day. If they can't figure something out, they pick up the phone and they call me on my cell. That's awesome. That is something that you will not get at a lot of lenders. Um, like I was saying earlier, I think we did 96% purchase last year. So we're all purchase production. Um, I pride myself on educating the clients and um, I, I'm really passionate about bringing loan officers in from different industries and, and teaching them the business and teaching them to be the best. That's what's really fun for me. I don't bring on loan officers that are retreads or burned out at a different lender. I like to bring people from the ground up, grow them organically. And, um, you know, what ends up happening is every lender in town is trying to recruit my loan officers, <laughs> but that's fine. We create loyalty and, um, um, I like the energy. So those, those guys are also really hungry, right? I mean, that gener that younger generation, typically, you know, like you say, you don't want the guys that are all burned out and, uh, you know, they want to make, you money. know, I, what I find is that, um, you know, you take a guy that's maybe making forty or fifty thousand uh, dollars in some job that he's not passionate about, and if you if, if you sense that he maybe is coachable uh, and is willing to put in the time, you can show him that look in this industry the sky's the limit and you have what it takes to do better than what you're doing currently. And those are the fun situations where you can take. Uh, a young professional and uh, teach them a skill that they'll have for the rest of their life and that they can do better for themselves and their family. And that's, that's awesome. And you need that energy in this business. This business will wear you out. You, you, you need that young energy and it, it brings everybody else around them up a notch as well. Um, my kind of one of my pride and joy loan officers that I hired two years ago, he was, spraying bugs for a termite company um he applied to be a processor and i said oh, i'll go talk to this guy i don't really need a processor but let me just go talk to him and he said i want to be a processor i said you're gonna be a loan officer i said you're gonna come work for me to be a loan officer he was hustling he was working two jobs trying to make ends meet and uh last year he closed 94 loans in a second year so nice awesome you know that's awesome i mean if i can do that 20 more times in my career i think that's that's a success yeah absolutely that's impressive that's really impressive like and like i mentioned my brother just he just became an lo last year and sure. after after fighting back i guess my father about getting into the business um and he's yeah he's he's figured it out though like his his bread and butter has been um like two or three k's fix you know sure. fix and flip stuff because that's what he, the world he came from, 
And so I have yeah. you know, tried to help them educate them that way. But listen, go with what you know. Like you can market this stuff. You can talk to these people and you can yeah. help them. You have those kind of contacts. Um, and, you know, he ended up at a, uh, at a predominantly um, refi shop. Or I'm sorry, a purchase yeah. shop in Ohio. <clears throat> so he's working through it, but he's, you're right. He's, they make a hand over fist money better than it was before. And it's just a better quality of life. Well, and, you know, um, it's a skill set and it's rewarding because you're helping families and, you know, you, you run into a family and I have a quick story. I helped somebody close a condo that was denied by a couple other lenders. And actually the seller that I didn't even know came up to me at church a couple of years later and said, I want to know that you, you changed our life. Like we, we really need to sell this and get our money out because we had to relocate to be with a, 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 a relative that was sick and dying. And so if they weren't able to get somebody to be able to finance their condo, they weren't going to be able to move on with their life. And I didn't even realize that they recognized that I was the lender on the transaction, but we came up with solutions. We got the deal closed and she never forgot that. And like, I see this lady, you know, a couple of times a year and she still brings it up every time. And I mean, I, you know, way better than the money is the recognition and the, and that's what it's all about right there. But I help somebody, you know? Yeah. Knowing um, that you truly helped out people in a situation where they needed it. And I didn't even know the situation was going on at the time. Yeah. But now, you know, it's probably one of the top 10 stories I've had in, I don't know, thousands of loans we've closed. What about top 10 appraisal stories? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> time for all that. Well, um, wasn't that you that sent me the one on the pilings that was like already underwater? <laughs> You're like, you think we can get the praise oh, on this? <laughs> so a guy calls us up, sends us a picture of Zillow. Hey, I want to buy this house. Okay, it's a million dollars on Dolphin Island. So we're looking at it, and I'm like, well, that's cool, the interior pictures. And, like, typically the exterior picture is the first one you look at, right? So the last picture on Zillow is, like, picture 45. I'm like, wait a second. This house is in the Gulf of Mexico, not on the Gulf of Mexico. It is in the Gulf of Mexico. And I don't know, you know, if you look at a map, Dolphin Island is the barrier island on the Mobile side of the bay. And, you know, you go over a bridge to get there. It's an island. Well, every time a hurricane comes, you know, the shape of the beach changes. I don't know if you guys know this, but beaches, beaches move around, okay? Oh, yeah. And that's oh, yeah. bad news for people living on the beach because sometimes – the beach under your house goes away. Well, that's what happened here. On the west end of Dolphin Island, the beach is absolutely gone. And so a lot of people just simply lost their house. And it was, you know, imagine trying to, you know, give a value on a property that is no longer there and is in the Gulf of Mexico. I believe the Corps of Engineer owns it at that point. I don't even know. But anyway, we're like, sir, this house, this house is in the Gulf of Mexico. I don't think we can do this. And he's like, but I, but I love it. He's like, but look at the view. I was like, it's great. Look at the view. <laughs> there was a kayak next to the front stairs. You had to kayak from the stairs to the beach to your car. That's how you got in and out of this property. And it was sitting up 10 feet. Anyway, we couldn't get title insurance on it. We couldn't get an appraiser to take the order. I didn't no. want to do it. I, didn't, I was like, I don't even want to waste time on this because the underwriter is going to be like, I, you know, what if this house is gone next month? I mean, it very easily could be. Yeah. So we we financed them a different property, but actually somebody ended up buying that house with cash. No. So did you say it was it was selling for a million dollars? 
A million bucks, which at the time was probably, had it been on the beach and not in the Gulf, yeah. it was probably worth about a, it probably would have been about a million five, but it was a good deal. So people were like, oh, look at this. Yeah, what if the beach comes back? Another storm moves the beach back I mean, over there, then it's good I to guess, go. You know, I mean, if you're a gambler, I guess you buy those <laughs> lots that are out in the Gulf and it waits for the beach to come back, I guess. I don't know. It's a futures, it's a futures bet, you know? <laughs> it's a future uh, land speculation that the Gulf of Mexico is going to get smaller. <laughs> um, that was a good one. Um, we had a manufactured home, modular home slash trailer that had been converted into a single family home, which I'd never heard of. So said the story from the listing agent. The appraiser actually was not our appraiser. You guys didn't give them to us, but this was a deal that died somewhere else came to life over at our doorstep and um yeah yeah this is a this is a manufactured home that's been converted into a single family home i said well golly i just didn't know that was possible i was like so they did sure? stick they did stick built renovations and additions around the manufactured home? i don't know what they did but they like it it looked like a house it had a they i think they ripped the top off a trailer and then like did an attic you know with, with two by fours with trusses and stuff and Blew some walls out. I mean, it was the fanciest trailer here. It wouldn't probably roll down the street. I'll give you this. No. But I think, you know, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Like, it has some I-beams underneath it. and well, There you go. Going and I was like, they're like, well, we can't find the HUD sticker. I was like, that's because you took it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. It's long gone. So that died. But uh, that was an interesting appraisal appraiser situation we talked to the county and they said uh we need you to come out and reassess this as single family not a manufactured home they said okay we'll come out and look and the guy calls me up and says nah once it's a manufactured home it's always a manufactured home so can't change it i don't know we, lot, lots of good appraisal stories but those are two that come to mind y'all do a good job y'all do a good job as an intermediary a lot of people don't know what an amc does Man, um, tell the people, tell the people. I, We've been trying to say it for, for months now on this. Yeah. Here's your here's your short clip. Ready? This is what you're gonna like. This is why I use an AMC as a lender. I don't want to have to deal with the back and forth of opinion between you know the homeowner and the realtors about what is or what is not on a property or what comps should have been used or not. Like you guys could kind of be a buffer for us. And of course, we can always say, well, the AMC said this, and it kind of makes us look good. We don't want to get super involved in the process. Now, um, you know, I, I want I want the correct comps. I want the correct value, whether it comes in higher, lower, or at the purchase price. And, accurate you know, value. Accurate and value. I, I want the correct value. I, I, you know, I, and, and a lot of people don't understand that. If, if you're accepting an offer on a property – that's way out of the market, then everybody needs to know kind of before the appraisal even comes back that it's probably not going to appraise for what you wrote that contract for. Just because you wrote a contract a hundred grand over the list price doesn't mean that the appraiser is going to say it's worth a hundred grand over the list price. Um, amen. 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 Man. You, but you've been around long enough that you realize that you know how to have those kind of conversations like ahead yeah. of time with your clients, right? Uh, you could imagine the conversations we've had to have with with borrowers or other LOs that weren't as experienced, man, over yeah. the last, you know, two years. 
Look, if I like, this might be an unpopular opinion, but if I'm buying a house, let's say I'm buying a house for three hundred thousand, and the appraisal comes back for two eighty, I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. I'm gonna say, look, negotiations. This thing only appraised for two eighty. Why am I gonna pay three hundred? Exactly. Prove to me the appraiser's wrong. Prove it. Show me the show me the facts. And they're gonna say, well, there's twelve other people that want to buy it for three hundred. Well, that may be. And that you may know, be our get a little out of whack, but um. It still gives me some negotiating power. You know, it gives me some negotiating power as a buyer. Um, and um, not too often do the buyers really realize that. You know, they, they just want it to go smooth. And yeah, um, they just don't have the experience. They haven't, they haven't bought or sold enough property to realize that that's just another step in the process. It's not the end of the world. Uh, typically, 90% of deals will be worked out have when an appraisal comes back short in some way, shape or form, it's still going to close. Yeah. And, th and that's the thing what you're talking about with us is like, so you usually I get notified, like if there's an issue with the transaction in your example, say it came in at 280 on a purchase price, 300, you'll shoot me an email. I'll be like, Hey, can you take a look at this one? Like first place I'm going is immediately page one of the appraisal where it shows what it was listed for when it was listed, and then now what's done a contract for. Yeah. And it's like, this thing was originally listed at 260 and then the yeah. purchase price on it is 300 so it's 40 over listing. Like, of course, probably the appraisal is not going to come in at 300 So then obviously you go look at the comps and see if everything makes yeah. sense and, and search yeah. for other comps. But it's like, that, that's immediately where you go. And you can put a story together where it's like, yeah, this, this thing probably didn't stay a chance. It didn't stand a chance, but, you know, and and and... And you don't know whether the buyer thinks it's going to appraise or not, and 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 um and that's that's the beauty of the AMC and an appraiser to give you an opinion of value. I mean, that, that's why lenders don't give you an opinion of the value. Um, now we do get some automated, you know, results that say we we accept the value of this transaction, and in some of those cases, it's kind of weird. We're like, hey, congratulations, Mr. Johnson. Like, we approved your loan. We got your purchase contract. Oh, and by the way, DU said that you don't need an appraisal because they accepted the value of 300 for the sales price. And a lot of times they get pissed. They're like, wait a second. You're telling me I don't get an appraisal? I'm like, I mean. You're like, this is great. This is great. To, but we don't need one. So, so much stress in that situation. You can't win. Yeah, you can't win. And, no. and I get it. They want to know. Maybe they, maybe they were hoping it underappraised so they could go back and renegotiate. Speaking of those, though, so so the waivers, like how, what do you, what are you seeing lately the past few months with waivers? Have waivers gone down? You're getting less, of, obviously we're doing less transactions probably than we were when they were really humming, um, you know, a year ago. But as far as like the amount of waivers on loans, how, like what percentage so, has it raised, uh, has it gone down? I think it's not so much the amount of waivers on loans it's where the loans are okay um you go into a very uh, very standardized neighborhood where say everything is a three bedroom two bath with 200 200 homes and there's been 25 sales in the last month in there and they all are right in line uh the system recognizes that address and it's able to determine hey every home in here is 1928 square feet they all sell for 306. The purchase price of 308 is probably smack in line. We're going to go ahead and accept this. Now, a lot of times it's on the, the loans where there's more money down. So 
not very often are we getting an appraisal waiver on a 3% down conventional or a 5% down conventional. But really, if you're doing 20% down on a $300,000 house in a neighborhood that's very uh, homogenous, uh, is the word that comes to mind, that's the highest percentage of waivers we're seeing. Now, you go out in the country and you got one house is a $2 million horse farm. The next property is a, you know, a 1960s prick ranch. The next home is a, um, a double wide. The system has a hard time recognizing value and placing value on the structure and what's around it and the comparable sales. So that's, that's what I've seen. And, um, I would say it's about the same. I know a lot of appraisers have called us and they're worried about losing their job because the appraisals, the appraisal process is going to get fully automated, but I just don't see it happening. I mean, no, you can't take the human element out of it completely. You just can't. I mean, two equal homes in the same neighborhood. One has got completely redone bathrooms. The other one has completely 30 year old bathrooms. I mean, there's a difference in value there and no automated system can recognize that. No, correct. Because, you know, so that's what I see. Um, and again, that's just our market. But, you know, that's what I know is our market. All right. Rapid. I, mean, I, I came up with a new name for these, the rapid rush requests. Okay. Right. I mean, if okay. afraid, we, we get our rapid rush requests all the time. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you with our quickies here. Um, Apple or um, Apple iPhone, or are you an Android guy? Blue or green text message? I used to be the problem. I used to be Android. And then I realized I was the problem. I'm <laughs> So, so you made the switch. So Charlie is still the I'm odd not, guy out. Let's I'm go. Why do you start keeping? I do think start keeping score on this. He's an Android yeah, guy. Yeah. Ignore him. You All are right. the problem. You are the problem. If you yeah. Yep. You are the problem. All right. So uh, who is the best tiger mascot in sports? I mean, the Auburn Tigers. Hello. Does, like, aren't you guys a war eagle? Like, what? what oh, what, I mean, well, this I mean, is so confusing to me. Uh, like, we're the Auburn Tigers, but our mascot's an eagle. Well, like, kind of our chant is war eagle. Like, war eagle. Hey, so when you go to the foot, the, the game, the start of the game, the eagle flies around the stadium on the inside, and it comes down and it circles the entire stadium, and they're like, whoa, and then it dives at the very end of center field and, like, lands, and, like, the whole stand goes, or eagle, hey, like, that's really cool. The story is, sick. it's a long story, but for the quick questions, it's probably not. So we're both. But we are the Tigers. All right. Um, what is what is the gas station in the South? You know, like uh, the East Coast has Wawa's. They got like the the quick. We, got a we have quick trips. Like what what is like the go to that you like? Where you we get your food, station. you get your gas. We have Bucky's. We have a gas station that people go to just to eat and see it because yeah. it's that special. Bucky's. Bucky's. Okay, I've never been to a Bucky's. You ever been Bucky's. to a Bucky's, Charlie? No, we never. Have over it has over two hundred gas pumps. At is that one like the one? Single... Wait, what? Yeah. You need. Is that one. like? Is it the same as the one over in Texas? What's the huge one over in Texas? Is kind of the same way. Yes, that's Bucky's. Bucky's. Okay, yeah, okay. Now, like my, I have friends that go there on Friday night to eat and see it and shop. <laughs> yeah, because like the store is humongous. Tons of. That's why you sometimes have to wait 30 minutes to get into the parking lot. No, I gotta, no, I gotta look this up. This is wild. Like, what are you buying there besides an iPhone charger? Like, what uh, shopping are you doing? Barbecue, sandwiches, 
brisket sandwiches. They sell grills. They sell like souvenirs, coolers. Um, and clothes. Clothes. They sell like it's a destination. It, it, you see signs like a hundred miles away, like eighty-eight miles to Bucky's, seventy-one miles to Bucky's. Like really? it's it's world famous. All right. So who is your uh, your dream golf foursome? What who, what three are you playing oh. with? They alive or dead? It doesn't matter. Your dream golf foursome. I would say Ben Hogan, Lee Trevino, myself, and my dad. Nice, nice. What is the uh, what's your favorite course you've ever played anywhere in the world? So my boy, you know Duffner, and we were he was playing up in Shinnecock Hills for the U.S. Open. So we went up the week before, and we played a couple guys on my team and him. And he he rented a house up there. We went up and played. Um, um, I would say uh, we played uh, the National Golf Club up there, which is like top five in the world. Um, that was really cool because of the history, and we actually got kicked out because we couldn't remember the member that invited us there. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. I think that Duffner wrote a blog about it or something because he couldn't remember his agent had – you had to – it's very snooty. It's, you know, very exclusive. We got kicked out, and then he couldn't remember who invited us when we played, and the, and the whole day was comped. And then they had him sign the major champion's flag. We got kicked out. That place is amazing. Um, but when I was in college, I got an opportunity to play Augusta National. We had a member uh, that invited three of us to come over on a Sunday about a month before the Masters. And um, that was really special. I think it was us and one other group. We had caddies. Man, you know, we just – the sad thing is, is you're, you know what it looks like on television. Then you get out there like, man, my ball didn't go nearly as far as those guys. But uh, <laughs> it, wasn't it, was, it wasn't as firm. So, like, on 15, I blasted a drive, you know, the par five. Oh, yeah. And I had, like, 255 left. And I'm like, come on. I'm 23 years old. I can hear this <laughs> part, buddy. I got you aren't clear of the water. You aren't clear of the water like, on I that second shot. Up. I got to lay up. <laughs> That's a BS. So that was cool because you already knew the course in your mind, you know? And you're out there oh, yeah. playing it. It's really special. Yeah. All right. La awesome. la last awesome. one. What's your biggest pet peeve out there on the golf course? Biggest pet peeve? Slow play. I yeah. mean, always people that just, you know, they take themselves too serious. They, they read golf digest on the way to the golf course and then they're out there, you know, going through the motions and then they hit a crappy top shot in the pond. Like, you know, just, just move along with the game. Like it, it, move along. No, no, no golf is worth slow golf and uh bad golf is tolerable as long as you play quick. Exactly. Exactly. If you're playing bad golf, man, get up there, find your ball and hit it. And, and nobody really cares. Like, you don't have to tell us why you're playing bad. Like, just move on go to the next hole. I like it. Bryant, man, thank you. We've taken up way too much of your time. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it, man. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, cool. thanks. thanks Bye. Take care. All right, man. Well, I think that about does it for us today. Uh, yeah, solid man. guest, Bryant. How about that, man. Bryant? How about b back? Oh, you said he would bring the heat. He was good, man. I really he was, liked he was good. hearing his stories. All right. All you great listeners out there, uh, go ahead and uh, – if you're not already, like, subscribe to our YouTube channel, IG, TikTok, Facebook. Um, make sure you're telling everybody about all the great stuff we're putting out. Go tell yeah. a friend, you know, not just your mom or your dad. Just, just like the mortgage business, referral system, referral systems. Tell yeah, one person about, about it. Be like, you know, these guys aren't that bad to listen to. Just, just no. give it a try. Give it and a try. And we're getting better every week. Relative.
somewhat yeah Relative. subjective or objective subjective all right dude thanks everybody take care peace